Hey guys, Jack here. The Just Hands America tour has come to an end. I'm back in New York. Zach is in San Francisco. Thank you guys for those of you who followed our journey on our Snapchat. Just Hands Poker is our name and other mediums. Regrettably, I will not be able to attend this year's World Series of Poker. And for those of you who have invested in my uh, package of tournaments, thank you so much for your contribution, and I will be returning that to you shortly. Uh, For those of you who are looking for another place to send that money, uh, we have a weekly contributor, John Metz, who was on this tour with us for part of the time, who is also going to be playing in some of the World Series of Poker tournaments, and we're going to list his Tasty Steaks package in the show notes uh, if you've read his weekly column on our blog at justhandspoker.com, you already know he's an excellent player. Uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with John's work, check that out and check out his uh, tournament package. All right, guys. Thank you so much, and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. What's going on, man? Enjoying these comfortable seats at the Bicycle Casino? Yes, we are not live at the bike. Uh, at the Live at the Bike studio. Uh, not really a studio, it's like a little room off of the main casino floor. Uh, but we are about 45 minutes post Live at the Bike. Uh, and we wanted to talk about one of the hands while it was extremely fresh. Yeah, so we had a really fun time playing tonight. Uh, I lost about $1,000. Uh, Jack ran super, super hot, made 3300 bucks. I don't know if I ran super, super hot, but I ran pretty... I ran well in key points. So, speaking of one of these key points, <laughs> uh, let's discuss the hand um, against seat one. Yeah. Seat nine. Seat nine. So I was in seat seven. It's a straddle. The effective stack is around... 3,500? Yeah, you had about 3,500, yeah. And I open from the hijack with red sixes to 60. Uh, I don't think there's much to talk about. Oh, okay. So, seat nine, who is a fairly active three-better, particularly in the sense that he almost always comes into the pot as a three-bet rather than as a flat. He raises to 210. And it folds to me. I think this is a pretty close spot. I decided to peel for... Basically because... I I don't think this is unethical or anything. Uh, Zach and I had someone watching the stream on a 15 minute delay. Texting us key information. I knew that this guy had barreled uh, Ace-King. In a spot where I think barreling Ace-King is a pretty big mistake. And... He just, whenever he started betting, he seemed to just kind of go with it. And so I, just, I thought my implied odds were really very good, even not a position enough to justify a call here. Oh yeah, for sure. So like, you know, typically in these spots, like even against somewhat active three betters, like I'm folding these like smaller pairs. These are just really difficult to, to play post-flop. They don't make good four bets generally. Um, but when you can really play it as a hand that doesn't just have set mining value, um, I think that uh, it becomes a lot more profitable. Well, I think it's almost all the value is coming from set mining. Uh, I'm not really planning on doing much bluff catching out of position uh, other than on very safe boards, you know, like 
10 high boards and lower off bluff catch. But my, my read is that he's not going to slow down. And I'm not sure that he's going to be so unbalanced towards bluffs that I should just be bluff catching a ton. Uh, I think as an exploit, I should fold a lot on the flop. Yeah. And then when I when I hit a set, I think I can pretty safely get in four bets because I think he's going to barrel three streets and I can probably just check raise jam the river on most runouts when I do flop a set. And this hand occurred after he played that jack-10 suited hand, right? No. Okay. This was right before. That was the very next hand. Okay. That, that's, yeah, that's why I was thinking that that guy should definitely not fold a top pair, top kicker hand. That, that's So he watched the stream the very next hand. This guy kind of blasted off <laughs> with top pair, weak kicker in a really stupid spot and got a better top pair hand to fold, which I, I think is a fairly standard call, but it just seemed like game flow. I, I would have made the call. But, oh, yeah. Sorry, a fairly standard fold, but I would have made the call. Anyway... This was pretty shortly after, or shortly after a pot where this guy four bet, or sorry, three bet or four bet you with three bet you with sevens out of position. Yeah, this yeah. was a, this was a weird spot. I mean, he said he had a set at this point. Uh, we later confirmed it, but yeah, he I opened in the the hijack. It's like I think it's just eight handed at this point, and he's in the straddle and just like three bets four x. And then bets a little over half pot on a King Jack 5 rainbow board, hits a 7 on the turn, and bets a little under half pot, and then shoves the river for a little under half pot, and I, I fold the river with a jack. But yeah, just like, he's just, he's just overly aggressive, you know? Yeah. Like, 7s is just a very, just doesn't play well as a 3-bet preflop. I think he just kind of felt that he wanted to be 3-betting a lot. That was, that was my read, and so I, I did decide to peel. So we're heading to the, heading to the flop with like a 450-ish uh, after rake, and the flop is jack seven eight, seven eight of clubs. I uh, didn't have a club. I checked, and he bet two hundred and. 10 again? Was that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, my read is that he's just barreling too much. Uh, I think this board connects really well with my range. I have a three-card straight, which is not a great semi-bluff. Like, it, it, there's not, that's not a ton of equity, but it's, it's something. I'll, I'll pick up a lot of turn cards where I'm a lot happier to barrel because I'll have at least some outs to a nutted hand. And I am going to be raising a lot of sets on this board. And I think I'll have some straights. Uh, I mean, you'll have all of them. Like you're. Yeah, I mean, I'll have all ten nine suited. All ten nine suited and every single set combo. And and I'm gonna raise every one of those except for probably ten nine of clubs. Yeah. So. I I do need I need a good amount of bluffs here. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna have enough flush draws. I don't have very many. Like straight draws other than just like sixes, and I definitely don't want to be raising nines or tens because I think those just make a much better call. So I yeah, I thought sixes was a was a good hand to turn into a check raise bluff. I think it would have been even better if I had had the six of clubs. But yeah, I, I made it six seventy five. 
So I think against a lot of players, this is like a really good spot to be check raised bluffing with a pair of sixes. I also think it's the type of play that most people aren't making enough um, when they have such a range advantage and there's a lot of money behind where you can really kind of barrel off and put a ton of pressure on one pair of hands. Um, the the only reason I would I would hesitate to make this play in this spot is just because of how well a lot of this is kind of 2020 hindsight so it's hard I'm thinking of two hands that were played after this one <laughs> that would make me more that would make me more reluctant to do this but yeah I, I I think I think it's it's probably a good check raise but against someone who's been like fairly spewing and active. Uh, like, there's a lot of people that 3-bet way too much, but, like, have never spewed that. You don't see them spewing post-flop, but this is a guy where we definitely know he made one very spewy double barrel with Ace-King before. Uh, but I guess we don't know how he reacts when he's, you know, check-raised. I don't think we've observed that yet. So. I, yeah, we haven't. That was that was a big part of it. Like, I know his, I think he's betting too much here, and we haven't seen how he responds to actually getting raised in one of these spots. I'm pretty much positive he has Ollie's king here. I would guess he has Ollie's queen. And I would guess he has aces, kings, and queens, which I obviously don't expect him to fold here, but I think like there's a non-zero chance he would fold those to a turn barrel. My image, for what it's worth, I think is pretty... I think people would mostly guess that I was fairly value-heavy in this spot. And so I, I, don't think, I think there's a non-zero chance that I can get him off of queens, kings, or aces on the turn. And if I can do that, uh, especially if, you know, he, he's going to raise jacks here, going to raise hands like ace-king of clubs here, I think I've, I'm going to have a really great turn barrel. Uh, I, I do think he's going to be probably floating me with hands with the ace of clubs. And so I think on a club turn, I would just check. Uh, and I think... I think any blank I'm going to continue, and obviously if I turn some sort of equity, then I'm going to be continuing. And if I turn like an open-ended, I, I think I'm just stacking off here against his range, because I think if he doesn't fold aces, kings, or queens on the turn, I can probably get him off it on the river at a really high frequency. So that's sort of my plan. He took a while uh, on the flop to make his decision, and he ended up calling. Uh, I also, just one other thing to note is that I had noticed during the hand where he had sevens that his heart was basically just fluttering like through the entire hand, like you, you could see it through his shirt. And in this hand, it wasn't. And so I just didn't... He was always in like a very sort of polarizing spot in that hand, and he wasn't in this hand, which made me think that he probably had more of a bluff catcher type hand which is what most of his range is anyways. So that, you know, I, I wasn't as worried about him having like some combo draw that he was gonna shove in my face or or a huge hand. That that was my read. Although, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously like not gonna four back get it in here if he, uh, if he raises. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I observed the same thing during the hand and it's, you, you know, you can't take out maybe like a weirdly played set that he wants to just like call in position and shove on a blank with but I think you definitely weight his range less towards that because just based on how he's playing before he's playing very quickly this is the by far the longest time he took to make a decision at this time and for the rest of the session so like I think 
you know, the vast majority of the time he's going to have uh, a hand that he is debating on whether to float or not, or a bluff catcher that he is just, you know, thinking about whether he wants to make the just the fold to the single raise with. So, the turn comes four of diamonds, so I pick up a gut shot, and it's obviously like a great card for my range because, and all my value hands are still just like never folding, like always happy to get it in, so it's not like he's going to, you know, if it was like a club, then I think I'm slowing down because I think he's going to turn some of those bluff catcher hands with the ace of clubs, king of clubs, into a bluff. Uh, but no, we get a really red card, so I decided to bet again. I, I decided to use a smaller sizing to look like I was leaving behind more for a big river barrel. Uh, and I also just thought, like, with a lot of the range, he's going to decide to either continue or fold. Both, you know, ace-king type hands and also over pairs. I think he's going to be somewhat insensitive to sizing. Uh, and I, I think there's even a chance he thinks the smaller size is stronger. And if if he's not going to just be, like, playing sort of computer poker and treating the size as just, like, you know, a, a thing that affects his range in a certain way, which, which is what you should be doing, I think, against a player you don't know who seems like he knows what he's doing or she knows what she's doing, then I think just trying to kind of get a cheap bluff in is worthwhile. That was That was my thought. So I bet 800. Yeah, I, I I think this is a pretty mandatory turn barrel when you get this card. Yeah. With well, your hand, yeah, the way it's played. In terms of sizing, I like it, but actually more so not, like, I, I definitely agree with all the reasons you said, but I think a big reason I like it is that if he just calls here, I think now you have, like, a really profitable triple barrel to get him off his one pair hands on the river. I think, like, mm-hmm. when you bet 800... When he calls, he basically has, like, very few now, like, better than one pair hands, and he's capped, I think, most of the time. So I think now, like, if you bet 800 and he has, like, aces exactly, like, I don't think he's folding, but I think on the river, you're going to get a fold a good percentage of the time. Yeah, and definitely, like, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, like, I, I guess I will have to put it in if he calls and I get a good card. But I, I just, I was pretty sure that like, I was getting this through at a high frequency, so I wasn't thinking too much about the river barrel, which I think I should have been more so. And if I had, I think I would have probably come to the same conclusion, because at that point, I had about two k behind, which would have been about a two thirds, three quarter pot bet, which I think is a, a good sizing uh, to be left with. Any any more on this one? I think you played this. I think you played this well. I a lot of times when we're playing together, I always try to like put you on. You know, see if I can exploitably figure out whether you're value heavy or bluff heavy. And um, you know, I couldn't couldn't exactly figure it out. Uh, I thought you were likely to be more bluff heavy on the flop, but then when you bet hundred on the turn, it it really confused me, and I was like. No idea what this kid has right here. So <laughs> that's good. You fooled me, man. So well, well played. Thanks, man. He did fold, by the way, and apparently he had ace king with the ace of clubs, and I I just think that's a really good demonstration of why you shouldn't bet ace king with the ace of clubs on the flop. 
on this type of board against a good player who will... I mean, I, you could say I wasn't bluffing because I had the best hand, but if if I check, I'm, I'm basically giving up. Like, I'm not check-calling as a, uh, you know, to try and win. And so I, I think effectively I'm bluffing. And yeah, you, you don't want to get bluffed off of good equity like acing with the ace of clubs. Uh, and I think you should be checking back this flop on a board that really doesn't favor your range and you have a lot of ways to improve and keep the pot small with a bluff catcher. Well said. So uh, if you look at the show notes, you'll be able to find not just this hand, but all the other hands we played at Live at the Bike. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for bringing on this hand, Jack. My pleasure, man. Uh, I think we'll probably do at least one or two more of these from this session. So talk to you then.